Hello and welcome to another episode of the Focus Seacast. I'm your host, Corey, aka Focus, and today I'm doing an introduction about growing autoflowers indoors and outdoors. This will be aimed mainly at the new grower, but I'm hoping that intermediate and more advanced growers get some good information from it as well. I'll be reviewing what an autoflower is, how to grow them indoors, some of the equipment you'll need, as well as how to grow them outdoors. What is an autoflower? An autoflower is a cannabis plant that features a genetic trait which gives them the ability to flower based on age. This trait comes from the cannabis ruderalis species or subspecies. This subspecies of cannabis adapted to the short summers and harsh growing conditions in Central Asia and Siberia, which allowed it to move through its life of its own accord. Normally cannabis plants need short days with 12 hours of light or less to trigger the flowering process. As far as habit, autoflowering plants tend to be shorter, between 3 and 6 feet tall, and are ready to harvest anywhere from 50 to 90 days from sowing, depending on the variety. Wild autoflowering plants were first cataloged in the 1920s by a Russian botanist. It was given the name Ruderalis, meaning weedy in Latin, because it was one of the first plants to grow in newly disturbed soil. Commercial breeding started in the 1970s when the autoflowering plants were bred into common photo varieties to create new varieties that showed the autoflowering trait. One well-known early variety was called Lowrider, which was a very short, fast-flowering plant that did not produce the terpene and cannabinoid levels common today. But through many generations of plant breeding, current autoflower varieties produce just as well as photoperiod plants. Advantages to growing autoflowers Indoors, light cycles don't need to be changed. They can be grown in a sunny area in the house with supplemental light if needed, and they can also be flowered along with photoperiod plants in their vegetative state. Outdoors, you can get multiple harvests in a season, and in Connecticut and New England, plants can finish early, avoiding cold temperatures, rain, and mold later in the season. Before going over the basics of indoor cultivation, here is some equipment you'll need. First, you'll need a space to grow in. A 2 by 3 foot to 4 by 4 foot area is adequate. Most growers use a grow tent, but you can also use a closet or a room. You'll need a light. I recommend an LED, 200 to 450 watts to cover the area. A couple fans, 6 to 12 inches in diameter for airflow. Uh, you can also use an exhaust fan, which will help regulate humidity. Thermometer with relative humidity. Uh, I also recommend looking up a VPD chart and using that to correlate your temperature and humidity. You also need some tools. I recommend a hand lens with 30 to 60 times magnification, a pair of pruners, bamboo or wooden stakes, twine and or netting for trellising, a small spray bottle or sprayer. Uh, For growing containers, I recommend fabric pots, at least five gallons in size, but 10 to 20 gallons is best. Fabric pots naturally root prune the plants so they don't become pot bound, and most of the larger size pots have handles that make them easy to move around. Autoflowers tend to be light feeders uh, and can be grown in potting mix, cocoa core, or hydroponic systems. Since I'm an organic soil grower, this is what I'll be covering here. For organic soil, I recommend a organic compost-based potting soil. There are some quality local brands like New England Compost, Costa Maine, and Macarono. If you're going to need to do any additional feeding, I recommend uh, organic liquid fertilizers like Nature Source or uh, Neptune's Harvest. A basic overview of growing indoors. A rule of thumb for autos are to plant the seed where, where it will spend its life cycle. Don't let them get root bound. Because most autos flower in 60 to 90 days and have a short life cycle, transplanting can shock the plant and make it go into flowers sooner. Same thing with it getting root bound. 
Select varieties from reputable breeders. Make sure there are descriptions that include things like date to maturity, terpene profile, if the plant does well indoors or outdoors, if the seeds are regular or feminized. If you don't want pollination and seeds to form in female plants, make sure the males are removed. After you've set up your growing area and selected your seeds, you can sow your seeds directly into the pot, plant twice the depth that the seed is tall. Seeds can also be started in a damp paper towel in a plastic bag, or you can soak the seeds if that's your preferred method. Once the root emerge in seven to 10 days, plant into the pot and let it keep growing. For a light cycle, you can use 18 hours on and six hours off, or you could do a 16 hour on and eight hours off. Keep your environment around 68 to 80 degrees Fahrenheit and at 45 to 70% relative humidity. During vegetative growth, you're gonna want higher temperatures and a bit higher humidity. Once the plants go into flower, it's good to drop the temperature and definitely drop the humidity to avoid mold and bud rot. This is why I recommend using a VPD chart so you're able to correlate the temperatures and humidity correctly. Auto flowers can be topped when the plants are three to four nodes tall. Just pinch back the top node. You can also train plants under trellising or netting, um, commonly referred to as low stress training or sea of green training. Flowering will occur in four to six weeks. If you're growing regular seeds, this is the time you want to look for male pollen sacs forming at the nodes. If you don't want seed forming in your female flowers, make sure the males are removed before the pollen sacs open. Autoflowers can be pruned similar to photobearded plants. Small wispy buds close to the stem can be removed, so can lower leaves. Start with a little and see how they react. You can always prune more later. Plants will be ready to harvest in another four to six weeks. Signs to look for are a third to half of the pistels are red or brownish in color, lower leaves will yellow, and trichromes on flowers and leaves will be thick. Use your hand lens to check that the majority are milky with some amber. There's no exact rule for when you need to harvest a plant, so you have to figure out what the best time is for yourself and that variety. For example, a lot of hash makers harvest earlier than most growers would. Growing outdoors. The first thing you need to consider is your growing site. This includes space, sun exposure, and soil conditions. These will be the biggest factors when you go to start your seeds. After figuring out how much space you have, find out how much sun your garden will get during the growing season. The general rule of thumb is at least eight hours of direct sunlight required. Cannabis plants can take up to two to four square feet or more depending on the variety and how they are grown. The next factor and probably the biggest is going to be soil. A soil test is a great tool for the home gardener to see what minerals and nutrients are in the soils and if any amendments need to be added or excesses remedied. If you're growing in Connecticut, I recommend getting a soil test through the Yukon Soil Test Lab. Just be aware that this test is only accurate for outdoor soils. Generally, if a tomato grow well, grows well in that area, cannabis will grow well there too. Plants can be grown outdoors starting between the first and second week of May. Seeds can be directly sown in the garden or germinated first then planted. You can also grow in fabric pots or raised beds outdoors. With fabric pots, you have the advantage of starting the plants indoors when they are young and vulnerable and then moving them outdoors once they start to mature. To protect seeds and young plants, you can partially bury a clear plastic bottle cut in half with holes poked into it to protect the seedlings. The two greatest advantages to growing autoflowers outdoors are being able to succession plant outside every two to three weeks until about late June, early July. Harvesting will start in August and end in September. Also, growing outdoors is the most cost-effective method of growing. The life cycle of an autoflower is the same outdoors as it is indoors, but there are a few pests and diseases to be aware of. 
I'll review some of the most common pest diseases in Connecticut and Greater New England. Some of the most destructive pests are caterpillars, mainly beet, webworm, and corn, earworm, or borer. Beet webworm is a moth that lays its eggs in June, and the caterpillars emerge between July and September. They feed on leaves and bud sites and cause problems like bud rot. Be vigilant when scouting during their active time of year and remove them by hand. You can also control them with beneficial bacteria like Bt or insect netting. Corn earworm or borer can be more destructive. Moths lay eggs that emerge as caterpillars and bore into stems, especially where branches meet. This causes the branches to break and buds to rot. They are active at the same time of year as beet webworm. Look for the caterpillars themselves or holes with frass coming out. Methods of control are BT, vigilant scouting with removal, and cutting off or removing affected areas. The next pest are aphids. They are not very destructive overall, but can be especially on new growth and flowers. They are usually brought outdoors from indoor growing areas and greenhouses. Aphids have many natural enemies, so many times they will die off if predators are abundant. They can be controlled with neem or hort oil, soap, or citric acid. Be sure to spray when cloudy or at the end of the day when it's not hot or sunny to avoid burning plants. Another pest is hemp and mites, which come mainly from greenhouses, indoors, or other growers. They are very hard to get rid of and cause curling of leaves as well as stunted or odd-shaped new growth. Russet mites are oblong-shaped insects that will usually be on the underside of leaves. They are not a common outdoor pest in New England, but good to be aware of. Other minor pests are leaf hoppers and flea beetles that eat parts of the leaves. Also, thrips and spider mites can be an issue, but are more of an issue indoors. I recommend looking at your plants both indoors and outdoors using a 30 to 60 times magnification hand lens twice per week. Look at random plants as well as the underside of leaves. Common diseases. The most common diseases indoors and outdoors are powdery mildew and botrytis. Powdery mildew is a fungus. The germination of spores on leaf tissue are caused by swings in temperature and humidity. Like its name, powdery mildew causes a white powdery growth on leaves. To combat powdery mildew outdoors, look for resistant varieties. You can also apply beneficial bacteria like Bacillus subtilis weekly or bi-weekly until the flowers form. The beneficial bacteria colonizes the leaf surface and makes it harder for the powdery mildew spores to germinate. A couple of products that I recommend are Cease from Bioworks or Mycoflora from Cobert. Botrytis, also known as bud rot or gray mold, is caused by water and bacteria, often where there is an injury or sensitive plant tissue. It is very hard to stop and basically the only option once it forms is to remove the affected area. Select varieties that finish early before a cold and rainy period set in or plants that have a more open flower structure that encourages airflow. For additional information, Cornell has good resources on identifying hemp, pests, and diseases. Well, that's it for this episode. I know this was a short one, but I hope it was packed with a lot of good information. If you have any questions or comments, you can send me an email at focusseeds at protonmail.com or send me a message on Instagram at focusseeds. Catch you all next time. Happy growing.